It feels magical to be able to float through moves or across the wall because what you you're doing this thing, but you are at that moment you're not you may not be actively recognizing. You are so in tuned with your body and its communication that it is allowing it to happen. Check it out. Hello everyone, I'm Alexa Forster, your host for the special LGBTQ Takeover episodes for Sins and Suffers. Today, I am really excited to introduce this next episode where I have the pleasure of talking to Cat Runner. Uh, Cat is a very, very skilled climber. He's an artist and photographer. He's an athlete, and he's also a trans man based out of Louisville, Kentucky. I was so grateful to have this conversation with Kat in person, face-to-face, while we were both attending the Flash Foxy Climbing Festival up in Bishop, California this last March. Uh, And just a quick side note, like I said, we recorded this out on location, so the conditions weren't, you know, superior for recording a podcast, so there might be a little audio interference here and there, but... Please forgive us and enjoy the episode. Check it out. <sighs> okay, I'm going to take a sip of water and then we'll get started. Important. Okay. Hi, I'm Alexa Forster, and welcome back to another episode of Sins and Suffers, the LGBTQ Takeover Edition. And uh, right now, I am very fortunate to be out here in Bishop, California, attending the Flash Foxy Climbing Festival. And right now, I'm really excited to get to talk to Cat Runner. So, uh, yeah. Hi, Kat. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How right. are you? I'm doing it's, pretty, pretty great. Yeah. yeah, it's been a good. It's been good so far. It's been a wonderful festival. It's um, I've never been in a space like this before, uh, and it's I've always wanted to create a space like this, and it's I think it's really special and really awesome that it exists. 100% agree with that. And I just want to back up really fast because I realized I forgot to introduce myself with my pronouns. So Alexa, she, her pronouns, and Kat, how about you? My pronouns are he, him. Awesome. Thanks, Kat. Um, and yeah, talking about like the festival, I think uh, this is my first experience uh, attending a Flash Foxy event. And I just remember, I think it was last year, I saw them like do the process of like rebranding. I don't mm-hmm. know, it was like last year or 2020. Um, where they rebranded, uh, and you were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Do you wanna... I don't, I don't remember exactly when they did it, but Flash Foxy was previously known as the Women's Climbing Festival, and during they haven't their last meetup was in 2019, and then the pandemic happened, and when they decided to come back, they wanted to rebrand to because their demographic is changing, and they recognize that they recognize that um, they're they want to be inclusive of all non-dominant genders so opening it up for a space where women can come trans masculine people can come trans feminine people trans um, women trans men non-binary individuals and just create open up that space for um people to come in and experience the climbing community and make connections and especially and have access to some wonderful clinics and some and wonderful coaches and climbers and role models who they may not have access to like this yeah yeah i agree 100 percent. i think it's a really amazing thing that they've done and i also really uh love the way they didn't just you know lump you know women and non-binary individuals into the same category because that tends to happen a lot in a lot of like climbing spaces and events where 
a gym or whoever's going to do something and say they're inclusive and like, oh yeah, we're doing this event for, you know, women and non-binary people. Yeah. Or just like, you know, kind of putting them in the same category. And whenever I saw uh, Flash Foxy do it, they were very specific to talk about, you know, it's for women and it's for people that, you know, are of a gender minority, basically. Yes. And I just love that approach of just like not lumping, because uh, I, my partner's non-binary, so... I uh, hear them constantly talking about all these uh, issues for representation or including non-binary people with uh, and just lumping them with, you know, cis women or yeah. just like women in general. Yeah. So it's 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 I love their approach and it's just been really great to be here this weekend and like see uh, like I'm taking Lore's uh, falling uh, uh, clinic and it's yeah. amazing just getting to spend the day with all these other uh queer and or trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming people yeah. it's just been incredible that's something that we've seen a lot more in the climbing community and specifically in gyms as they've are trying to increase their diversity and their outreach and make it a more inclusive spaces yes there are affinity groups forming and the most common one uh is of as uh was women crush wednesday or some sort of lady crushers mm-hmm. and it's evolving to include non-binary people but most often it feels like that's more tailored toward feminine non-binary people because mm-hmm. there are also non-binary is non-binary exactly. it's um very expansive very variant and that can include as people who are assigned male at birth exactly. and when and i think the intention in these spaces when they form these groups is often they want to not exclude non-binary people mm-hmm. but a lot of the reason why these groups form is for cisgender women to have a space aside outside of a male uh or inside of a male dominated mm-hmm. sport and a male dominated and a, a masculine dominated community um and what happens and what I've talked with a lot of people about is I've tried to figure out the best way to introduce and create um, some more inclusive groups at my climbing gym is that what you run into if you have a women and if you call it women and non-binary or it's for that, it still feels like it's tailored toward if you you're non if you are non yeah. if you are non-binary you have to be presenting in a way that cisgender women are comfortable with yeah and that's um really kind of hard to navigate and it's um yeah. can also be a problem yeah definitely and i think i think one of the things that one of the reasons that why flash foxy's approach is so well is because they're actually talking to people in the community and they're bringing them on board to actually be in the conversation yeah. to make sure that things are, you know, being addressed appropriately. Um, and that's, I think that's kind of sometimes maybe where some of the gyms fall short as they don't have anybody from that community mm-hmm. in the conversation. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's great that you're doing, like you said, with your gym to try to bring in some more affinity groups and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. And I'm inspired by everyone to try to like, you know, bring that home to Texas for me. Yeah. So it's and incredible. There's always that, there's always going to be that one person who's like, why do these need to exist? Yeah. And what's the, because someone will always be pushing this like, why are we continue? Why are we segregating? Why are we oh separ- separating when isn't the goal that we can all be together? And it's, um, Yes, education is important. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, I think I can't remember. I was having a conversation with someone. It was a, it was more of like I don't think that we should be splitting the groups up further. We should be um, really focusing on education and stopping and creating boundaries for the problems that exist in the community itself, and because otherwise they will follow into the group as well, and that can be true but a lot of the reason why affinity groups exist and the reason why from my experience like it's so wonderful to um come to a queer event or a trans related event is that i'm going into that space knowing that there is a baseline of the education that i may have to um 
that will be there. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, will, like it, you, you know you, showing up that you're going to be safe, basically. Yeah, you, you, or that there's some level of education that everyone has. You may not have to be doing as much teaching. It's not as much emotional on you. Um, uh, it's not as much of an emotional kind of um, impact on you. There's not as much emotional fatigue. You can just go in and climb. It's mm-hmm. It does feel safer. Yeah. And it's can be a more welcoming atmosphere if you see that these groups exist and especially like climbing can be really hard to get into it's it it is very community Uh, it has a very strong community and I love the community but it can still be hard and intimidating to come into that space and if you have a group like this that exists in your gym where here are people that are probably like-minded like me. Here are people that are going to protect me, stand up for me. This is These are people that want me to be here. These are people that um, it can be much easier to come in and meet people and talk. And then you can meet the broader climbing community yeah. once you have that person yeah. with you or that group behind you, which is why it's so important for them to exist and yeah. means you're not alone. Yeah, exactly. I, know, I agree 100%. That's uh, such a great like response like why these why these affinity groups are so important and like you said like you know those people like oh why is it why do you want to seg- segregate things like that you want things to be equal yeah. and i run across that so much in especially in uh like a facebook climbing group for like the dallas area yeah and sometimes there's there's... so many like white you know cis yeah. men yeah. who just respond to this message and they're just like oh well you're just being racist i'm like yeah they just don't understand because everything is like geared towards them basically and like i had a similar experience you know like coming mm-hmm starting climbing like for me like i saw it as something that i would never ever do mm-hmm. until like one day i was at my friend's after new year's and she was like hey do you want to go climbing and it was just you know one of my queer friends mm-hmm. inviting me to go do something that i never would do mm-hmm. and since she has done it and like you know her partner got her you know her partner at the time got her into it it's just like okay well this seems like something that you know some queer friends that i know yeah. enjoy this sport and like talk about how queer it is like yeah i want to give it a shot yeah because it feels like a safe thing there's also a comfort and a connection when you're with people who have experienced oh there's like um who pause really fast because i don't want your car to die i just realized it's not on okay it's just the light i was worried that would burn it out i think it forgot i think it's assuming that like i'm not in the car no it's okay and it's like Um, leave it off because i don't want your battery to die it's uh you can pick it back up from there there's a beautiful there's like a true comfort and connection when you are around other people with similar lived experiences as you because you don't have to preface everything you don't have to preface what you're going to talk about they mm-hmm. just like might know yeah and that releases an emotional burden that you can feel when you just want to like talk about something and connect it's like that feeling that you have with your best friend that you've known and you just start start you can just start talking to them about something mm-hmm. and they just know because they they have the context and they're aware of it and i think in infinity spaces if you're with people who have experienced similar things to you you can share your experiences there it's a safer place you can openly talk about it and you can create conversation you can it it can be it can feel like a safer space to have a difficult conversation to challenge opinion because there is a level of respect and safety that is already instilled there yeah so well said just chef's kiss Amazing. <laughs> um yeah uh so now i kind of want to just like slowly shift topics here we're talking about flash foxy and how mm-hmm. amazing uh this weekend's been so far um but now i kind of want to get more personal into kind of your history cat and talking yeah. about climbing in general and uh so yeah just talk about like uh so how long have you been climbing and uh what got you into climbing yeah i climbed i've Climbed in a commercial setting. I started climbing in a commercial setting in a gym when I was, God, like, maybe I did it for sure in the fourth and fifth grade. And then I think before then I was going, we had this, like, rock wall at our mall in the sporting goods store that I'd go and Mm -hmm. we'd do every now and then. I really wanted to. It was, I was young enough to know that when I, I saw it and I wanted to do it and I was, like, too small they wouldn't necessarily they had they told me like come back before we close 
and I wore this like big sweatshirt to try and like puff it out and just like I just wanted to go climb. But I've been climbing ever since I was young. Yeah. Ever since I was like a little a little child, I've had this affinity to climb. And then when I went into middle school, I my priorities shifted, my focus shifted. I really wanted to do scholastic sports. So I played base uh so I played basketball and then I later played field hockey, which is a sport that I didn't know existed, nor did I ever think that I would ever play. <laughs> but I found a, a fun and enjoyment with that, just being on a team and enjoying that sport. And then um, going into high school, I didn't pursue sports. I didn't think I was going to be good enough to make the team. And then I was also, I had a growing injury that impeded my ability to run and I was doing two very cardio intensive sports and I just like couldn't run and do it anymore so I decided not to I you know go to school and um then like school high school was not a great place and I understand um yeah the high school I was I just didn't have a great relationship with it. it was a pretty toxic environment for me um it was also at a time in adolescence where I was just kind of I was old enough to understand for the for the first time, like really understand kind of like stereotypes and pressure and because I because I'm adopted, I'm uh, a transracial adoptee. I'm Chinese, but I was raised by white parents with the proximity to whiteness. And so I look like I'm Chinese to everybody around me. I look like I'm Asian, but I wasn't necessarily raised in that culture. Mm -hmm. And but I'm still held to many of the stereotypes and the presumptions that mm. the Asian community is held to. So, and and a lot of that has to do with the media that I had growing up. So, if you were Asian, you were smart, you were good at math, you were good at science, you exceeded in school, you were going to be a doctor. All these yeah. pressures all the on your future yeah. that didn't align with what I enjoyed. I was much more in the english art kind of creative side i can do math but i wasn't particularly gifted at it <laughs> and i was going to a school where for the very first time i was around a large population of asian people and that was different and now those stereotypes were just kind of compounding on me in addition to the reputation that the school had and then it's environment of just like being prestigious and being highly academically gifted and I just didn't feel like I fit in there so it that that um was not great and then so um and then on top of all that I was going through like puberty and starting to have a gender crisis and didn't have the words for it oh, yeah, and no words <laughs> um didn't have any of the language and I understand that all of that I eventually fat figured out what being trans men and I was like that's it um that's me that makes sense <laughs> yeah it's like I found I I thought about it and I, I listened to a bunch of people's stories and I found myself within those and then it's like this is this makes sense and I'm comfortable with that and I think I'd be more comfortable if I pursued um some aspects of transitioning and so that was a big thing Whew. um no, it's, it's huge it's a huge yeah thing to like, it was a major it's, it's so daunting to come up uh, come up against that basically in your life and it's just this huge turning point yeah and because there's um it was also at a time when it we didn't have the visibility that we had today yeah i'm curious just if i'm um, asking what like what it was what year in 20 let's see 2014 oh wow yeah mm -hmm. way yeah like, it was 2014 we had all of our um i guess our you know trans forefathers <laughs> um just like you know our youtube um the people who came before us sharing their yeah so like stories like on youtube but you had like trans youtubers basically you had like I mean, the the hero in my story is Skylar Kurgil. And then, like, Alex Birdie was doing, he was um, 
creating content and then Benton Sorensen. Those were the three that I resonated the most with. And now you just think about like, wow, there's so many people. There's so many. But it was also at the time and just like, and this is part of like representation. I was, I found myself in the stories of some individuals, but when it came to trying to like educate and look into medical transitioning and what that would look like, there like hardly any Asian transmasculine people mm-hmm. that you could um and this was I had not explored Instagram yet. It was only YouTube. Well yeah, because I feel like twenty fourteen, um, like you said, like I yeah. think Instagram just like maybe came out I'm, yeah. I'm probably just like probably off, but like I figured Instagram wasn't as powerful as a tool as it is today for the trans community. Yeah, absolutely. It was just like YouTube was where it was and it was also like you could visually connect with these people and you mm-hmm. could see it happening. Um and so like that's where all of my education happened and figured things out. It's like this makes sense. This is what I want. Like um and then came out to my mom who I lived with and I still live with. And she was extremely supportive. My entire family has been extremely supportive. I'm very that's awesome. Um, lucky, and was it was just kind of amazing. And so we just like started going to a gender therapist, and then she found a conference that occurs out in San Francisco every year called the Gender Spectrum Conference. There's an adult track and a teen track and with workshops, clinics about like for on the adult track, it's it's a lot of like supporting your trans kid, like mm-hmm. more info on medical transitioning, like listening to doctors and educated individuals, more educated them and just like learning. And then for us on the teen, it was just one year probably for a lot of people for the first time, especially for me, like this is the first time that I'm surrounded by a lot of trans people, yeah. especially my age. There were um, some trans people in school but that I was friends with and who were the first people that I came out to, I believe, or, like, came out right after my mom, came out to right after I came out to my mom. But um, it was, I was around other trans people, mm-hmm. and that's that was, like, six months after coming out, and that's when... And I knew what I wanted, and, like, um, it was that conference and her being able to learn and specifically meet the parents of other trans kids for her to understand why it's so important, why this is what I need to go through, and what her role in that would be. And she was finally ready Mm -hmm. to transition with me. Um, Because I had, um, it's like... I was gonna need her support. I was a minor. I was sixteen. Yeah, I was sixteen. Like at that point, yeah, um, it's like parents are so, like, make or break for trans youth. Yeah, it is, and you can be unsure. You can, and you can still be supportive. You, as a parent, you want to protect them. That is your role as a parent, mm-hmm. and it can be very, I think, hard navigating, like giving them enough space so that they can explore, but making sure they're safe enough to do it. But that is your role as a parent. Let them support your child and all of their exploration and all of their endeavors. Give them the space to do that, but know that you are there to catch them when they need you. And that is what both of my parents gave me and were there is... um, and they had, like, my mom, since she was the main kind of, I was going to need her the most, um, for just all of the lo- legal logistics and everything, mm-hmm. um, she was a little bit more hesitant because, I mean, what parent? You yeah. Know, it's, I think it's right and justified. Like, you're, I think it makes sense if you're hesitant because this isn't, your kid is, this is a major shift in your yeah. child's life and you want to make sure that they are going to be safe and protected and um especially at this point in time too like you said 2014 like yeah there was hardly any representation there wasn't wasn't and then the education's not i mean it's it's still not great today but it's it's 
leaps and bounds yeah. uh, from where we were in 2014. Yeah. So that's, I'm just so like, I love hearing stories like this from whenever you have like supportive parents for a trans like kid. It's mm-hmm. just, like, and it's so. It, it really changes things and it yeah. means the world. And for many people, it means their life. Yeah. Um, it means their life. It means their future. It means their future with you. And it's devastatingly sad that there's some parents out there who expect only one future. And if they cannot receive that, they will not um, yeah. support any other future. And that's really sad. And, um, but yeah, like, came home from that and got the ball rolling and um <laughs> by the end of the year i was i had my first shot of tea and i had my um date for top surgery and then um that's kind of yeah and i tried to play sports in school i i transi- i transferred schools in between doing all of this so mm-hmm. um and when I transferred schools, I went into the new school as stealth. So I was going in identifying as a boy and a man, and that's what everyone would know me as. And I came out at, and started openly identifying as trans later. Yeah. Um, just a moment. I just want to like let people know because a lot of the audience is more cisgender. People. Yes. So like, just give me a quick example of what stealth would be, so, so people who aren't familiar. Stealth is the um, antonym of open essentially so if you're stealth it means that you are usually disclosing your trans identity on a case-by-case basis sometimes not at all and for me it meant when I was going to school I was gonna only like the people who needed to know so the um principal and the counselor knew of my um knew that I was trans and everyone else, I was just going in as a boy and here's my new name. And um, that's what they would come to know me as. And uh, they wouldn't know of that. I was trans or of my previous gender um, or anything like that. I was, it was coming in as a new identity. Yeah. And maintaining that identity and disclosing any previous identity if I felt comfortable and if I wanted yeah. to. And that's like, sadly, that's, I feel like that's the way it, it could, it should be for everyone who's trans, but unfortunately that's not the, not the case, sadly. Um, but yeah, thanks for like going through all that history <laughs> with me about, oh my about God. your past. Like it just, yeah. It's, it's so amazing to hear like stories like this as opposed to so many other like, trans youth stories that aren't as fortunate but so it's just it's 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 a joy to hear these these like happy stories yeah but climbing this is a climbing, climbing podcast yes. no it's totally fine get back to the climbing it's totally fine you know no, this uh, is a part of your history and i was <laughs> i asked the question about like what got you into climbing so it sounds like you started climbing like pre-transition and then i'm curious like how long did it like take you to get back into climbing yeah or you was it just right there immediately for you and so after i transferred schools um that fall or that winter i was still like i knew my top surgery was coming i'm like i want to do sports again i have the time i don't necessarily have this growing pain anymore and i I don't want to do basketball because that would overlap with right around my top surgery and that wouldn't be good but i want to bowl we have a bowling team (laughs) and so i went out for the boys team and we were a small enough school that if you wanted to play you played And was then told that after the first practice that I cannot play (laughs) because of my, um, because my, the gender marker on my birth certificate at the time didn't match the team that I was on. Um, Kentucky has some, has discriminatory policies. They, um, and they have not changed since I was in school. Yeah. They, they're getting worse. Yes, that is, yeah. Um, As of right now. In this... It's going to Bashir's desk, and he will probably veto it, but the Senate will override it. I can almost guarantee. Yeah. Um, 
same thing would just happen in Utah. Yeah. So um, I just decided, okay, I'm not going to play sports. I'm, or I'm not going to play sports now. I'm going to do this top surgery thing. I'm going to heal from it. I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get special permission senior year. Because I, by that time, of the requirements listed under the policy, I w- will be eligible to play minus the fact that I will not have had a hysterectomy, ovarectomy, or bottom surgery, which is required under the Kentucky policy. Cool. Yep. Very accessible for oh, a minor. Oh, gosh. Um, so... Uh, I did this, we had this like underground lifting society thing, which means after school on some days, you would go fuck around in the gym, mm-hmm. um, lift weights, do whatever. Uh, I did that for a year and I ended up doing it my senior year too. I got permission to play, but by the time I got permission, like I had too many conflicts. It was my senior year mm-hmm. and I, w- and I didn't have the time for it, which sucked. So, um, and that was 20, I graduated in 2016. In 2015, a new climbing gym opened downtown. The gym that I had been going to previously was out, like, it was, t- it's technically, I think, closer to my house, but it's also just in terms of the traffic and the nature to get there, it's further away. Yeah. And it's climbing, it, it holds a place in my heart where I, this is my first climbing gym, mm-hmm. it's where I learned to climb. In a commercial setting, it's where I learned to climb on plastic. It was not great. Yeah. And it was not, it was mainly a ropes gym. They did build a bouldering section, but the beginning, if you want to boulder, you start on overhang. That's what the bouldering section is. Oh, my <laughs> um, gosh. And, um, but by then, in 2015, a new gym opened downtown. Bouldering only gym. It You didn't have to rely on a partner to go climb. It could just be you. And someone that I went to school with, we were actually going to do CrossFit. And the gym never emailed us back when we asked, when we emailed the questions. <laughs> we we learned that she had a climbing background as well, and we probably literally just missed each other in terms of our climbing as a youth. And we was like, "Let's go to the gym," and that's where the story ends. And it's um, or that's where the story begins, yeah. and it hasn't ended yet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was kind of amazing to go back into a gym and really fall in love with the movement again and like I don't think I ever didn't like climbing I yeah through much of middle school like go to the park monkey bars climb on all the shit but in it was you know climbing in a climbing gym setting I hadn't experienced that in like seven years and bouldering was so different. It was so fun. It was something that I could do on my own. I didn't have to rely on my parents anymore. I didn't have to rely on other people to be there. I could go and do this thing for myself. Yeah. So it was a lot more accessible in that sense. And it was what I've noticed now and learned is that I was still, you know, a baby in my identity then. And I'm still kind of like, you know, your identity will grow and evolve as you do it's never it, it'll, it'll never stop and if it stops then i think you're not challenging yourself enough yep but um it was i i was a year on testosterone the chain the majority of like significant changes had happened by then my voice had dropped and peep i didn't really get misgendered much even before i just looked a very prepubescent boy but now I was like, if it hap- it didn't really happen. Yeah. And I was coming into this new setting in this community open as who I was. And I it was climbing was kind of like a vehicle to explore this new identity in this in this new space as like a human. Um and they morphed and learned and grew together so my identity as a trans person my identity as a climber is mm-hmm. like this is where i learned how to take up space how to move through the world sort of who i was how people saw me how people perceived me and it was in addition to just being like fun yeah. and um 
it's kind of hard to remember that long ago. I can say for now, for sure, it's like based on where I was, I didn't recognize it then. I was not happy. I didn't really see a future. And it was just, I was existing, and but I wasn't a participant in my life. And you're about this was like right as you started climbing again or was you know, just prior? like both all like prior at the very beginning of climbing just kind of um transition wise and growth but especially like pre-transition it was mm -hmm. um there was a lot of things going on and I wasn't happy for a very long time and I found climbing was something that I was able to find joy in yeah. and uh, it's the one type of movement and athletic activity that is very intuitive to me. And it was just amazing getting on a wall, feeling the movement, and um, finding a connection that had not existed for a very long time. Yeah, that's amazing. That's... Oh. <laughs> so great. I love just hearing all these different stories from different people and different experiences and how they've, you know, got into climbing basically. And it's just, I always just enjoy hearing all these different perspectives. So thank you. Um, so now I want to kind of go into more, uh, you know, climbing today. And so it sounds like, I'm just curious, you know, I'm always curious what people enjoy more. So it sounds like you enjoy bouldering more or what do you, I... what do you consider yourself like? <laughs> To, to fall to one side, or is it just like you love all of it? I specialize in bouldering and sport climbing. I am slowly creeping into trad. <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I see a crack and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> interested. Probably hmm. can't like climb it well, but yeah. interested. The interest, like, I didn't used to look at cracks and be like, oh, I might want to touch that. Now it's like, oh, I might, I kind of want to touch that. Yeah. And um, so, like, creeping into that, creeping into multi-pitch, but primarily focused in bouldering and sport. Um, I live in Kentucky. I'm about two hours from the red, so that's mainly sport. There's a little <laughs> bit of bouldering there. Yeah. But, um, and then I climb in a bouldering gym, so it they balance each other out pretty well. I like, know, yeah, of course. The, you know, the power, and then you just have to be out in the red for, like, a couple weekends in a row, and then endurance starts to build by the time the season comes along. And um, I do have a tendency to be more interested in choose bouldery projects, mm -hmm. um, more bouldery sport routes, because they're more fun with for me. I'm really... The thing that I love the most about climbing is the movement. And finding finding a flow state, especially, but 100%. finding um, problem-solving sequences or making links and getting to the point where um, get, getting them so dialed that I can efficiently execute them. It's not fun for me to get pumped off of like a 100-foot V2 climb. That's I I want to fall off hard moves, so yeah. it's like a a weird little combo. But I I I tend to do the more I come from a bouldering background, so yeah. I do the more bouldery so sport do, yeah. routes. That makes sense. <laughs> and like you said, you know, like about how they kind of balance each other out. Like yeah. I go to a gym and I try to keep a nice balance of like bouldering and like you know top rope or lead climbing, basically or sport climbing, yeah. if you want to say it. Um, and I find that, you know, they're so important and complement each other yeah. to just stick to doing one thing. Because, you know, for sport, you definitely need that power you get from bouldering mm -hmm. to make it through that route. But then if I'm, like, not feeling like climbing, you know, a sport that day, I was like, okay, I can do top rope just to build that yeah. endurance, yes. basically. One it's of, so important. I love it when I, you know, most people in the red or who grew up in the red or spend time there, sport climbers. And don't necessarily focus or climb as hard in bouldering it's just it doesn't they don't get psyched on it and that's totally fine mm -hmm. um but then if they do start going on trips or they start um increase their accessibility to boulders and start bouldering they notice a shift in their climbing because i i from my experience 
power is much harder to build than endurance. Endurance, like endurance, like having really good endurance where you can last forever. That's really hard to build. Yeah. I don't have that. That's a lot of technique, but mm-hmm. you can build it and get in shape enough that you can last on your project. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, power on the other hand, it's just like, it's really hard to build and train and find that technique. And, um, so it's really, I, if you're, if you, I, bouldering has like, you know, you don't have to love bouldering, but it's, if you're not doing it and, um, I think it could really complement and help your climbing a little bit. You don't have to do it all the time, yeah, but just like no, a little no. bit of bouldering and you, and you'll, you'll probably notice a shift in your climbing. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Yes. And it reminds me that I have been so wrapped up in rope climbing recently that I need to get back into doing more bouldering. Ropes stuff, are so. fun. Climb yeah. what you're psyched on, yeah, but don't forget exactly. the other thing. Don't it's kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget exactly. the other thing, but climb what you're psyched, follow the psych because you need the psych to send. Yeah. And it's like, it's, the baseline, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, it's so, hard to climb. It's hard to do difficult moves or any or just like anything difficult if you're not into it and if yeah. you're not having fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, and I think one of the reasons I kind of like, like basically the one injury I've had climbing was from bouldering. So, yeah, that yeah yeah. And it's and sport my, climbing can my, be a lot nicer to yeah, your body. It can be a lot nicer because <laughs> you don't. Have, I mean, if you're sporting outside, then it's a little different, and then it gets a little more dangerous for for your falls for mm-hmm. sure. But for bouldering, it's definitely I'm always a lot more uh, cautious. It's a lot, it can be a lot more I'm dynamic. Uh, just because I don't want to hurt myself again mm-hmm. and be out from climbing for a few months. Because yeah. like I use climbing to like help. You know, it's part of like a therapy for me almost. Yeah. To like help me just like get through a hard day or something. Mm-hmm. If like I'm going through things, like climbing's there for me. Like. You know, to go clear my head, basically. Yeah. Like, I've heard other people on this podcast, and, I, you know, I'm asking them, you know, basically, like, I was, like, uh, I'm, like, one of the things, like, wh- why I love climbing so much is because, like, it allows me to, you know, just clear my head mm-hmm. and just be focused and in the moment where it's just me in the wall and, mm-hmm. like, me in these holds, basically, mm-hmm. and allows me to get everything, all the other shit out of my head that's just, like, really... It's that flow state. It's that flow state. It's that flow state. It's that flow state. And some people have compared it to like meditation. It is. It's and it's so incredible. And it's 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 yeah. It's you just it it feels magical to be able to float through moves or across the wall because what you you're doing this thing, but you are at that moment you're not you may not be actively recognizing you are so in tuned with your body and it's communication that it is allowing it to happen. Um, things are happening intuitively. You are giving yourself to your intuitions, to your natural movement. Um, you may, you may also be trying very hard, but, um, it's just like, it's for you're just there's a moment of peace mm-hmm. as you're doing it. They're not combating each other, and it's they're just working as one, and that's a really magical feeling when you've spent so long feeling <laughs> like they're just like knocking heads and just like hating each other all the time. That's interesting. I haven't heard that approach, but like as a trans person, yeah, that's such a crazy thing for your mind and body to be like at one and at peace that's yeah. such yeah wow thanks for they're thanks just for working that. together they're working together they're for working once. together they're not, finally they're finally <laughs> working together oh my god it's happening nature's healing itself y'all <laughs> that doesn't reply there you but, may be uh, trying hard you may yeah. be doing hard moves but it's doing what you're telling it to do yeah exactly <laughs> oh my gosh it's uh, not fighting back <laughs> so i'm curious what keeps you you know what keeps you coming back to climbing uh, today I love the movement and and I've my biggest shift is like I like pushing hard and I like doing hard moves but what's more important to me is the community that I've built and the community that I've found and the people I've found within the community it's climbing is fun 
like the movement's great, mm-hmm. but it is significantly more fun if you're out with people that you enjoy and yes. people who support you and uplift and uplift you, and you climb better if you're with people who uplift you. Hundred percent. And so that's like, and I've been just like grateful enough to be able to find that, be able to find some really solid, genuine partners, people who make it enjoyable, and because. I've had my fair share of injuries. Um, I've got a pretty large finger. <laughs> it's not great. Um, and it's I've there's been months at a time, weeks at a time that I've been out of climbing, and it was really hard. And that is one of um, something that I'm like very cautious about now when I climb. I'm a lot more of a hesitant climber and a more probably more considerate climber too. But like before the. In terms of my new mood and my approach to climbing, and like I used to climb before my shift at the gym, and that'd be in the middle of the day, there wouldn't be anyone in there, and it was fine. I was still climbing, but it was it it's different, you know you're climbing alone, I think you can you can, it's a lot more isolated, you can get really stuck in your head, you can get really stuck in your ego mm-hmm. And it's not as much fun because you, you're not just like, you don't have someone there to just like try things with. And then I got hurt and I wasn't going to the gym and I was just like disconnected from my friends and my community. And that's when I learned I can go to the gym and not climb. (laughs) I can go to the gym and hang out and talk and see people. And I started doing that and I've been a much happier person since it's like, you can go and it's, and I climb with them, but it's like, I can go to the gym and not climb. I can go into the gym. I can sit on with my approach shoes, tennis shoes, whatever. I can sit on the mat with them. I can work beta with them. I don't have to touch the wall. Yeah. Because it's the people that I want to be around. 100%. Yeah. Like, that's the other side of climbing. Like, everyone's like, oh, it's this, for me, it's like this such a, you know, relaxing, meditative process. But the other part of it is, like you said, community mm-hmm. is like such an important thing. And that's like kind of like what I feel like this weekend like it's speaking about climbing, but mainly it's community. Yeah, that brings has brought everyone here to Flashbox. Absolutely, and yeah. I just think it's like the climbing community is like has its flaws for sure. Mm-hmm. But like, it's a it's a it's a sub sector of human society. It's um, it's yeah. It'll always have. It's like there's no discrimination. There's no racism in the climbing community. It's like. Look, we're humans. <laughs> we are, a, you know, this other part. We're humans. It's another little, like, sub-bubble yeah. of the human condition of the human experience. There are its problems. They may not be, you may not feel like they are as grand compared to other environments, but they are there. Yeah. I just want to pause it there really fast and just say we hit our time. I didn't want the timer to go off like in the middle okay. of saying something. Yeah. But I was saying if you wanted to just like have something to wrap it up really fast. Oh. Because I wanted to be considerate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm okay. Because we just keep on because it's yeah. a conversation. We just keep going. And yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um. But I'm just trying to think a good way because I want to talk about what you're talking about. Like, you know, like, you know, human conditioned, all of that, but it still doesn't excuse a Abs- lot of yeah. stuff that's wrong. Yes. Within the climbing community like yes yes, we've come a long way but there's still a lot of work to be done yes and i think that's what's so important and what can be very uncomfortable for people is like myself and we've talked about it here at flash foxy is like you need to get comfortable with knowing that you have things to unlearn you may not even be aware of the things that there are that you need to unlearn or the things that you don't know you are unaware of the things you don't know. And I, um, it is, I think, beneficial to anyone to be an advocate for their own education. It's there. People are screaming out. Like, I know the, tra- like the trans community, f- I put out a lot of information and it doesn't make it out very much. But, and there are a lot of other people who are putting out information too. And even though those voices are yelling, if you don't aren't actively seeking out, aren't actively asking questions, aren't um, including those communities in your daily life, you're never gonna 
experience them. You're never going to find them because they aren't going to, they're, you know, putting themselves out there. But unless if you're going to sit down and watch the thing or you're going to read the thing or listen to the thing or listen to the people talk, it's never going to reach you. Yeah. If you're not going to be open to it, then you'll be closed forever. Like, um, and it can be very uncomfortable and very vulnerable to feel like you don't know at all because it does feel like, oh, everything I know is wrong or I'm a bad person because I fucked up. And that's not true. It's um, if you mess up or I personally don't believe that people are inherently bad people. I think it's, you know, habits and patterns and that's what creates conditioned, yeah. and conditions and like what creates a less than good person. But you need there's it's very hard to be vulnerable and it's very uncomfortable to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it's um but that is something that we have to do as humans if we want to be open to becoming better because most likely the stories that we will listen to are gonna change or challenge something that we think we know and we need to be careful about our defenses because the moment the defenses go up and we think that we and we feel like we are being attacked we will not hear a word that is said yep it we will be closed off and then it becomes a yelling war between both sides who are not listening at all to each other, what anyone has to say, and nothing gets done that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a very... And, like, you know, you don't have to be vulnerable all the time. Yeah, because that but can be exhausting, it basically. Can, it's exhausting. you got to take breaks, basically. But, but hopefully do it more than not. Yeah. Hopefully be open and search for their stories and listen to people and then also amplify amplify the voices of people who are telling you. And because so much of especially with social media now, we have circles. We we have a circle of information that we receive and mm-hmm. then the people within our circle they see what we see. And it can be very harmful, but it can also be very good. Because my circle may be a bunch of trans people all spewing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to spew something because I think it's important. And then my hope is that someone in my circle who may not be trans sees that and says, oh, that's fucked up. Yeah. And wants to share it with their circle. And that's how information gets spread. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how education happens. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's just, yeah, but just hoping that, you know, something that you share reaches, you know, someone else in your, in your friend circle that's, you know, not trans. Because if, if they're not in that community, then they're never going to know what's happening. And like what legislation is going up against trans people because it doesn't affect them. And if it doesn't affect you, you stay in the dark about it. Mm -hmm. You stay completely unknown about it until you run across someone who actually is affected by it. And it comes down to is like, are you going to, you know, stand up and like support, you know, your fellow human beings and like supporting them for basic rights? Or are you going to, you know, sit there and just like not, like you said, it all comes down to being uncomfortable and putting yourself in that situation. And that's, and that's for all marginalized and minority communities. Like I have much more work to do in learning about the black and especially the indigenous community. And that is something that I'm actively trying to do. It's, um, and I think in terms of like feeling, showing up, like everyone shows up differently and what's hard about social media is we see we we'll tend to see one specific side of a person or one yeah. persona of a person we may not we we absolutely do not know yeah, what's it's, going it's, on in the background curated. or what they may be doing on their own time and then we can create judgments if they're not saying something mm-hmm. i've certainly created judgments about like um 
oh my God, I'm putting all this stuff out and my closest friends aren't like doing anything from my community. (sighs) And it's just like, and we've had conversations and now it's like, I've seen the shift in their lives where they have started sharing it. And that really means a lot to me. But um, I think what's so important in terms of any sort of, I don't even want to call it activism, just like information sharing education is to show up the way that you can, the best that you can today. Yeah. If that means, if you're not comfortable with calling people or calling senators on the phone, you don't have to. You can do it a different way. You can share information. You can specifically bring it up if you're comfortable enough with your close friends and family because that's where the most change will happen. Yeah, locally. Um, If you are financially able to and are more... um, you can contribute to organizations that are on the ground doing the work. Um, If you're not comfortable being on the ground doing the work, you can support the organizations that are. There are so many different ways, and there's no one specific way or one right way to support change. It's showing up, just showing up the way that you can and the best that you can. You don't have to show up your best every day. You don't have to show up every day at all. You just need to show up at some point. And... Hopefully, it'll be sooner rather than later. Um, And it's not like, you know, like um, they talk about oppression Olympics and stuff. It's, um, they're show up for as many communities as you can today in the way that you can. Like, I know and spew a lot about the trans community because that's my community yeah those are the resources i know that's what i'm going to talk about and that's what i'm going to share my story with and that's how i show up for my for the trans community and my visibility but i'm also going to show up for the black and indigenous community by educating myself so that i can be more informed and then um also financially support them because i'm able to do that yeah and that's how i'm going to support those communities I'm not going, and I'm not going to create my own and talk from like my own experiences about the black or indigenous community because I don't belong to those communities. Yeah. I just love, yeah, exactly. Just like showing up. Yeah. It's like what it's all about. And like, however you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the most important thing. So thank you for getting that across to, to everybody here who's listening. Um, and yeah, just like to wrap it up, is there anything that we didn't get to talk about that you would? Want to like maybe share or plug anything <laughs> that you're working on or anything like that? Um, I don't know. I think what, yeah, I, I think it's all good. I'm working on a bunch of stuff, but it's still like up in the mind goo. <laughs> so there's nothing yeah. really to present quite yet. Understandable, understandable. Yes, I understand that. Uh, that I, yeah, I hate, I hate when that stuff that happens. Um, but I am excited for you and can't wait for you to be able to share those things that Thank you're working you. on. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. I think it's um, going to be cool. I want to help connect more of the trans community back to movement and fitness if they want to pursue fitness, but mm-hmm. specifically movement because yeah. um, that's something that happens. Like when you go through just like um, – gender gender identity exploration or anything like that you may not feel like sports are accessible to you and then now as an adult you may be interested but it may be intimidating to get into that so yeah i'm um working on yeah helping bridge that connection because movement's very important to me climbing's very important to me and i want and it's helped me learn and grow as a person and i wish that everyone regardless of your gender regardless of if you're trans could experience it yeah 100 percent. i kind of totally identify with so many things you just said about like how much climbing has like helped me in my life as a person and just like growth in general um and i could just go on here all all night talking uh-huh. about this stuff with you but I, yes thank you so much cat for thank you for having down. me of, of course yeah i'm so glad i finally get to meet you and have this conversation i'm excited to meet you i've heard <laughs> great things about you <laughs> thank you um yeah thanks so much cat and thanks everyone for listening and uh, have a good one that does it for today's episode 
thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed, please go leave a comment. Let me know what you enjoyed about today's episode and what you found special. And then be sure to go like, follow, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your chosen family. And like I said, thank you so much for being here today and listening to the episode. And if you're not really suffering, are you really sending it all?